Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we're going to drink a hundred beers in solitude. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, starting with a beer. So this book follows, was it seven generations? Of Something like that. The Buendia family, but it starts with the founder's this beer is from Founders Brewing. <laughs> it's highly acclaimed KBS Espresso. And uh, and it also fits because they have a lot of kibs. <laughs> <laughs> it's an ale brew with chocolate and coffee aged in oak bourbon barrels coming in at 12% alcohol. You know, many years ago, this was like a legend. Oh, the regular KBS was like a legendary beer. Now this is at like Whole Foods, but it's still fucking great. And I actually come to I've come to prefer the espresso to the original. There's even more coffee, so I could be jittery while I'm drunk. <laughs> so this it's like book, a classy uh, four loco. Yes. Well, <laughs> in the well, I guess I guess there's a. Hmm? I'm sorry, yeah. classier four loco. Five loco. <laughs> <laughs> Top shelf. More locos, more cl- I mean, is a direct relationship. The amount of locos to the amount of classiness. That is the true. Yeah. Classiness. This book also loco. But yes, it is actually very loco. <laughs> <laughs> so the novel was originally published in 1967, and I believe Marquez is Colombian. Yes. And uh, was translated into English in 1970, and he it is considered his greatest work. We have done one other book of his before. It is considered also one of the most important books of not just like Latin America, but not even just the 20th century, but just earth. ever. It's like it's some this... people's list of like most important books. They're like Gilgamesh, A Hundred Years of Solitude. <laughs> it's and the then, second most translated book in Spanish after Don Quixote. And I, is, is the third like Water for Chocolate? Because I can't even <laughs> think of another one. It is a fucking mindfuck of a book. And it was recommended to us by several listeners, so thank you. For, it's something for, I want to read for a few years, but honestly... I couldn't find it on the internet because I kept typing in the number 100 <laughs> instead of the words 100. It's like, I can't believe a translation of this doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> it sold 50 million copies and there's no ebook. That <laughs> uh, was really stupid. So I don't even know where to fucking begin. Okay, begin so it. this book is famous for being magical realism and it's Probably the most famous magical realism book, or most widely read, most well-known for being magical realism book. Besides However, that's not the most, that's not, that's only one reason that this book is unusual, because a number of other aspects of the book are quite unusual. One is that there is actually has to do with the plot. There isn't an overall conflict it's really conflict because, like, it's pretty much just like, hey, here's some funny stories about what happened to this family in a weird sort of magical way. In a 400-page run-on sentence. It is a stream-of-consciousness family <laughs> tree. That is what this book is. Yes. So it doesn't, like, it doesn't have an overall conflict or overall sort of, like, overall plot that you know you're no at the beginning or near the beginning and then is resolved at the end. It's just sort of like stuff happens. It was interesting, but it's just kind of like stuff happens. A lot of stuff. The second, the, uh, the, uh, the third 
um, rather somewhat, I mean, not traditional type of novel the thing about it that makes it not a traditional novel is that there's virtually no dialogue. I was trying, oh, there okay. are only, a, so only very rarely does a character like even say something. And then even a rarer time than that does is a character says something and another character responds. That's, that's very rare. I didn't, I didn't realize it at first, but I don't know if there's even a single time when there's like one character says something, another <clears> character <throat> responds and the other character responds back to that. I don't know if that happens hmm. even once. It's almost that. like there aren't really there aren't really conversations that happen. It makes it seem kind of like um, myths. You know, when you read uh, like Greek myths, there's no dialogue in those ever. You know, they're just That's like weird because Greeks will shut the fuck up. It's always about <laughs> diners too. <laughs> Fucking coasting on that and democracy <laughs> the last two thousand years. <laughs> but if you read the like the myths, don't it's just like he addressed the gods like. If you read the older versions of them, they don't have dialogue. Nowadays, like the newer... Then the Minotaur said, (laughs) (laughs) Ah! Said Icarus. Icarus. Icarus, like it's a fucking candy. Icarus. (laughs) Splash, said the sea. (laughs) So the plot is, there are literally... This is a very long book. I mean, it's... And Pages is not our longest book, but it felt like an insanely long book. It's and barely any paragraphs. Every it's just page, endless. Like twelve things happen. It's just like things at least happen, two of them have this gypsies. Happened. <laughs> <laughs> this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this this happened, and then this happened. Turn the page. This happened, and then this happened. It's it's so. There's no way we could go over all the things. It's kind of like uh, when Ace Ventura sucks in his breath for a long time and then does an explanation in one breath, but it's 400 pages long. But it also was about seven generations of a family that was modeled after George Foreman, so they all have the same fucking name. <laughs> and so, you know. Do you think George Foreman's kids also named their kids George? I hope so. <laughs> it must. It, it, that, otherwise, he should disinherit them. I think it should be the only. Those are the rules. Nate, are you looking it up? I'm looking at how many Aurelianos there are. I was hoping you were looking up George Foreman's grandkids. <laughs> oh, no. I, was, no. <laughs> I could, I'll look that up. <laughs> are George Foreman's grandkids named George? Shit. People also ask, are any of George Foreman's grandchildren named George? Here we are answering the important questions. Maybe. Okay, I count... Five Aurelianos that don't count the 17 kids of that one Aureliano, which I think were all also named Aureliano. So I think that's 23 characters. You don't actually meet all of those people, but technically he had. So that's like 23 characters out of of like 30 that all had the same name. And the other men are all named Jose Arcadio. Yeah, so, so it's not like there's like a bunch of Orleans and a bunch of other stuff. It's just two dudes' names and two or three women's names. It's like Ursula, Amaranta. Um, Amaranta. I mean, would it have killed him to put a fucking Pablo in this book? Rid- yes. Ridiculous. <laughs> yes, it might have. So, okay, we'll, we'll start out. We'll talk about the beginning. So I this is the second time I... So I started this a couple of years ago because it's like a book and I just finished read. it. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, yes. No, I actually really did just finish it. I have course it takes a hundred years to read. <laughs> I thought I was like, oh, I read like half of it a couple of years ago. No, I think it was only chapters one and two. 
maybe one, two, and three, because <laughs> I felt like I was reading it for a long time before, but when I really was like, no, no, I, we're on chapter three, and I don't remember any of this anymore. Anyway, so Jose Arcadio Buendia and his wife Ursula, they are part of the original, like, 20 people that are the founders of this town called... Macondo. Macondo. It's next to after it's after I got my apartment, I bought a condo. Once they got approved of my board, uh, they moved into my condo. Later on, if I need more room, I got in my house. <laughs> it has it had it was a pretty it had a pretty good pet policy. Uh. <laughs> so in it's in this town called Macondo, I'm gonna laugh every time now. <laughs> Macondo. In the in like the jungles of Colombia, even though once Colombia wasn't a, a, a country yet, but that's where it is now. You know, well, it takes so, place in the past, yes. but it doesn't really give you a year. It seems like it's like the year fifteen fucking hundred at at some points. It starts around the year fifteen hundred, and after a hundred years, they're in the year nineteen hundred. But it does. It's like yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't really make linear sense. I mean, it's magical. Re, it, it's not. It's magical realism. It's not supposed to make sense. But if you were to try to impose years on it, you could probably say that the first generation is probably the late seventeen hundreds, and then the last generation is the early nineteen hundreds. So it's really like call it around one hundred and fifty. Well, Ish. Pilar lives to be one hundred and forty-five. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's somewhere around there. But she's in like the original. More or less the original generation. So, yeah. so therefore, like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Around 150. So, like, call it like late 1700s to the, you know, uh, 1775 to 1925, around there ish. Anyway, so they like, they found this town. It's a very small, they're just husband and wife. And Jose, Ar- uh, Jose Arcadio Buendia, he's, so there are two personality types for all the men. There's, Jose Arcadio, and then there's Aureliano. In fact, I found a quote about exactly what they're li- what the differences are. One Spelling. sentence takes 11 years to read. While the Aurelianos were withdrawn, but with lucid minds, the Jose Arcadios were impulsive and enterprising, but they were marked with a tragic sign. That's literally like what the differences are between the two things. So Jose Arcadio is first... And he's, like, very industrious, and he works hard, and he also goes on this, like, expedition to the jungle to try and find a way out, but he finds a a ship from Sir Francis Drake. One of those magical things. Um, But But he's also, like... So, crazy is the wrong word, but more like he's... the, the. the gypsies come by and say, Eccentric. I have got this, I've got this like, you know, magical little like um, machine thingy. And then he's like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing. So then he gets into alchemy and all he's doing is trying to like do alchemy all the time instead of doing his actual work. Fucking paying attention to his family. Yeah. Well, we, he's uh, very we, obsessive. We, we did skip uh, why they founded Macondo. Yeah. Because he killed a dude. Killed. After marrying his cousin. Well, that's fine. It's a long time ago. But he's also, there's a lot of cockfighting in this. Literally. And cockfighting's cool, but don't you dare make fun of a man's cock. And here I'm talking about the penis. Because that's why Jose Arcadio kills a dude. Because he kind of like imp- implies that he's impotent. Because so his he- wife won't bang him because she's afraid that she's going to have 
children with pig's tails because of the incest stuff. And so everyone made fun of him. So he javelins a man in the neck. And then he, and then he porks his wife. His wife. <laughs> <laughs> and then they leave town to get away from the guy's ghost that was haunting him. Yeah. Prudencio, which prudent? Like there must be meaning behind that, right? Or Prudencio sure. Aguilar is just, you know, I was trying to think of another word that kind of meant prudent, but Prudent Eagle is his name. <laughs> As if he's like the most boring Native American. Like, there's Sensible means? Eagle and Running Bear. <laughs> like sensible <laughs> Eagle is like, make sure you bring enough pemmican. Like, there's. <laughs> <laughs> well prepared. Measure twice, cut once, they say. <laughs> so, Jose Arcadio and Ursula, they found this town out in the jungle. And would you say, uh, and it, and it kind of like rains a lot. In fact, l- much later in the book, it rains like every day for a year. For, for years, four, four years, four, four years. years. There you go. So, would you call that? Would you call that it <laughs> drowned lands? Yes, yes. So yes, it, I would. The jungle is the rainforest. Yeah. Also, they drown one of those guys later. Someone also wants to drown a baby at one point. There's a lot of it's, yeah. everything happens. Like this is literally everything. You happens. could punch. This is an easy, easy literary bingo uh, book. But <laughs> you everyone will find wins. everything. <laughs> Take a long time to find it, but it's in there. Yep. So this is uh, from said. Drowned Land Brewery, <laughs> which is the connection. This is called Fiddle Leaf, which I'm sure they had ferns in the jungle, probably. And this is a <laughs> double IPA, and it is 8.5%. You could infer that they did. It, it doesn't say so, but it doesn't say there weren't any. It's fern plied. Mm. Yeah. Hey, this is a great beer. Very nice. It's See how it only took you a sentence to say that? <laughs> Why the fuck couldn't this guy do that? <laughs> oh, Sabro Mosaic. Yeah, there you go. It's the Sabro. It's the Sabro hops that are like, hmm, so good. Like a cantaloupe flavor. They're great. Yeah, very nice. So the wife, Ursula, lives to be a million years old. And she will be a character throughout the rest of the book. And when they're on like, and this guy, the great grandson of whoever is doing this shit... And then again, Ursula was there, like, still? Like, she fucking never dies until then, or towards the end. She lives forever, that fucking lady. Which confuses the shit out of me, honestly, because I wasn't paying, I wasn't like following along on a family tree. It's, uh, you either have to follow along very carefully with Hamilton Tree or not at all. Mm, You know which one I picked. (laughs) And what was recommended to us by the, the listener and very cool person who's a patron. Uh, who suggested we read this? He said, just, he said he started reading it, with paying attention to the family tree at a certain point. He said, fuck it, and he didn't care. He just read the book. And he said, it was fine. Like, you don't need to pay attention to that yeah, part. It's not and super it, important. No, I think he's right. So then, um, and there's also like Milkiades or whatever, the, uh, the gypsy guy who comes yeah. back from the dead. Yes. Because he had a vial of gypsy tears that <laughs> revived him. <laughs> they have like flying carpets and and a treasure chest filled with ice and all sorts of other crazy things. So the first line of the book, actually, which... It's a, fam- it's a very famous first line, yeah. It's, I forget which character's book. When he was about to get shot, he remembered the uh, time his grandfather told to find ice. Squad. Yeah, they say that about a thousand times. But also, it's like, I read that first sentence. I was like, what is this book about? <laughs> and then by the end, I was like, I can still don't know. <laughs> Chapter one. <laughs> Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buendia was to remember 
that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. And you don't find out anything more about that for many pages. But it eventually becomes kind of important. I want to say Colonel Aureliano Buendia is the is the character that's in the book the most. Or at least he doesn't live the longest, but he's in the most parts of the book. Yeah, I, I would I would think. I don't know if there was like a percentage breakdown, but I think that a lot of the stuff I mean it happens around Ursula is there the most. His, but. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also she's, the, she's around the longest. He's also kind of the most important in many in some ways because so much of the book is about the, like the wars or the war, and he's a major figure in that. But it's also fucking confusing as to what he did because I wasn't paying that close attention to names. Like he's so is he the one that has the, pit, the sores in his armpits and writes yes, poetry. Yes. And shit? So Jose Arcadio kind of goes has several children, um, but yet goes kind of crazy. And isn't really in it a lot after the very beginning, but his so two he has two son two sons. One he names after himself, so he's got the exact same name, Jose Arcadio. And not even Buendia. a goddamn junior in there. And the second Aureliano, who is the first Aureliano, first of twenty three in the book. Anyway, Jose Arcadio goes off to his like like his father when he turn when he becomes like a. 18, you know, becomes a, a later teenager. He, like, goes off. He just leaves. And then he comes back a couple years later, and he's a huge giant of a man covered in tattoos, and he's, like, sailed around the world and, like, he done all these crazy girl. things. He has the biggest cock. He saw he saw a hot gypsy, and he's like, fuck it, I'm leaving town. Yeah. and But then he comes back, and he gets the whores to enter a raffle to fuck him? Yes. He does. Like, he, 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 they have to pay whatever it is, five, whatever currency unit they're using, to enter to, to be, like, the names pulled out of a hat to get to fuck him. And then when there's two left, he's like, if you pay more, I'll fuck both of you. <laughs> they're like, deal. Man, that guy, that guy fucks. Like, that was, that was impressive. He does. He certainly does. And then a bunch of stuff happens. Yes. And then he ends up... <laughs> Right, and that was only one page, and then a bunch more stuff happens, and then he eventually, he eventually marries Rebecca, who is like the little orphan child who eats dirt and and plaster, <laughs> who arrived with a bag of her parents' bones. Yeah, and they and whoever she arrived with was like, oh, she's related to you, and they're like, what, really? But they and then she was there. She's apparently like a second cousin or something like that. Maybe. They're yeah. never really sure if she's actually related to any of them. Just like she's never really sure what is actually food since she's eating yeah. the plaster off the walls. Rebecca actually lives for a very long time, but off page. Because she has a whole saga with the other girl, Amaranta, where they both in love with uh, Pietro, the pianola the piano salesman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's like very obviously gay. But uh, apparently not to them. No. But uh, he... For some reason, they he chooses that he's going, he's going to get with Rebecca, and then Amaranta says, "I'm going to kill you if I have to to stop this wedding." But then eventually, she just gets tired of the gay Italian piano builder and bangs the hottest guy in town, which is her adopted brother. But you know, they're not really related, I guess. They hadn't Maybe. seen each other for several years. They both got hot. <laughs> 
can't be helped sometimes. Yeah. And that's a big theme of the book, right? There's the fear of in, like the incest uh, of the family. The pigtails. When will we have a pigtail baby? Spoiler, the end. But they <laughs> are, that's what their big concern is. So something to be concerned about. One thing that does happen is before Melchiades, or whatever his name is, dies, he leaves behind all these scrolls that are like in code. And he says they won't be deciphered for a hundred years. That's and then you pretty much hear nothing about them until the last couple pages of the book when it's been a hundred years. Every once in a while, there's somebody who's just because there's that room of the the Ur Jose Ocadio and his, his workshop. His workshop, and every once in a while, like someone's in there and they're like, "There's a whole bunch of papers and shit," and that guy kept reading them. It's just like a throwaway, or it feels like a throwaway line because so much shit happens. It often feels like throwaway plot. <laughs> You're just like, they're, they're in there. Yeah, you can't tell. And then he also has another son named Aureliano, who's the first Aureliano, who is very like quiet and shy as a child. And then when he turns, I forget exactly what happens. He marries, he a he young marries adult. Remedios, and then she dies. And he decides, I'm going to just spend the rest of my life killing everybody. And he becomes a a leader in the in, on one side in the Civil War because another thing that's going on in this book and one of the reasons why it's probably pretty famous is it does tell the history of Colombia from of almost all of South America. Just yes, generally, kind of story definitely happened in a lot of places. Now it's, he's not trying to tell a history, but he does bring in a lot of history of the country. And so once it became a country, there was a... I mean, I actually didn't know any of this. Like, and I only kind of... I still don't know any now. of it, Nate. <laughs> no, but basically, there's <laughs> this, this big civil much. war between the liberals and the conservatives. And they're like fighting each other. And Aureliano goes off to be a leader. And he's, for the rest of the book, known as Colonel Aureliano. And, and it's like... He fought 34 wars and lost all of them. Or, you know, he got, he avoided getting shot, like, a hundred uh, times. Yeah, I read this one times. It was Colonel Aurelio, Aureliano Buendia organized 32 armed uprising, and he lost them all. He had 17 male children by 17 different women, and they were exterminated one after another on a single night before the oldest one had reached the age of 35. He survived 14 attempts on his life, 73 ambushes, and a firing squad. He lived through a dose of strychnine in his coffee that was strong enough to kill a horse. It's like that, you know, Bill Blasky skit from Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bill Blasky was... Six foot ten and a hundred four hundred and eighty pounds. Like, well, that's great. Bill Blasky once sat said he was going to a bar and he sat in a field and they built a bar around him. <laughs> like it's like ridiculous boasts. <laughs> but uh once he gets involved in the war, could you say things kind of especially in the plot start to snowball? I will. I don't know if you could really say that, but I'm gonna because that's there. You can say it because he just did. Shit. That's 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 just realism, not even Self fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> This is a beer from Decadent Ales called Snowball. It's an imperial stout brewed with coconut, chocolate fudge, and Madagascar vanilla beans coming in at a reasonable 12% alcohol. Oh, excuse me, 12 and a half. And you have to drink it, and you have to spit it into someone else's mouth. Oh, yeah. It's the proper way. It is. It's, all, it's, all, it's like, like a baker's fudge flavor to that. <laughs> it's like a... Like bitter? Yeah. It's not, it's not a sweet... And uh, it's not as sweet as I had hoped. 
but it's is I'll, Baker's I'll, I'll, fudge a thing? I know Baker's chocolate is. I whatever the fuck it is. I, I, I don't. You know, know what I meant? Maybe it's a thing too. Baker, I think Baker's fudge is when you eat too many pastries <laughs> and you shit your pants. <laughs> oh no! I just Baker's fudged. The whole Baker's dozen in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 what it's flavored with. <laughs> that is pretty bitter. It's yeah, not as bitter as the, as you feel internally. When you bake your fudge on a crowded train or something. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, when you spend all evening in the bakery. <laughs> just, just getting baked. Just, just churning fudging. them out. <laughs> getting fudged. <laughs> I got something in the oven. Um, so this... I don't know what the fuck we're talking about. This this beer and all the beers are brought to us by our supporters over at Patreon. If you want to support the podcast, don't wait 100 years to do it. You can head over to patreon.com slash drunkguysbookclub and give us your money, and we will continue (laughs) making this podcast. Honestly, we'll probably continue making it if you don't do that, but it's pretty cool if you do it. Uh, And in return for that, you get early access to episodes, exclusive content, join us for our live episodes. Um, We'll send you merch stuff. You get a discount on merch, all sorts of shit. You get to vote in our monthly book poll. You get to make us say mean things about Nate. <laughs> make us against our will. Yeah, it's all, it's, oh, turn, twist my arm. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I do it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to do that, you can head over there. Or you could also help us out by just leaving us a review wherever you're listening and just run up to five stars, one for every five Jose Aurelianos there are in this fucking book or whatever the names are. So this is now like the second-ish generation of the family, but there's a lot of time spent on them and developing them, but they start to have children then, and you get more fucking Aurelianos, 18 more. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and um, you get Arcadio, who is the uh, Jose Arcadio's bastard, right? Is that who he is? He is yeah, he's Jose Arcadio's bastard with Pilar... Ternera, the prostitute brothel leader, head like the old saggy tits. Like I feel like there was one person that go, oh, her tits aren't great anymore. Like there was like a lot of descriptions of things. Yeah. So like, but hmm. she 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 she's uh, hooking well into her hundred and forties. The OG Gmail. <laughs> I forget why Arcadio gets executed, but he also gets he's the one gets thrown up in front of the firing squad, and I don't remember why now. Oh man, honestly, I don't know. No, wasn't that? No, that's Colonel Aureliano, who's in front of the firing squad. Did but they Ar- both do that? Arcadio is also executed, and it's, I think, I forget if it's the liberals right. or the conservatives, but he's on the wrong side of it, and he becomes uh, the, the dictator. The family is on the, uh, the uh, well, he's a, the colonel is, is in the liberal side. So I guess he's on, but he's the one that is like the teacher and has the children as his like personal army. Yeah, who knows? There's so many things that happen. <laughs> but he becomes the dictator. He's the one that was like, Issuing fiats about their like their property and <laughs> just oh right they leave him in charge after uh, Aureliano declares like that Macondo is free of the president and then they leave Arcadio in charge and he becomes like you know a little Mussolini kind of guy and then they kill everybody when the army takes over. Is this also the same around the same time that like the, the government sends in the dude to be the mayor? It's like right before, like he, they sent him in right before, and that's like before the war starts. And he's like, I'm going to make sure that we don't have to paint our houses blue. Yeah, that was the, whole, <laughs> the big issue. Anything because, that. because Remedios, uh, 
Arellano's wife is the daughter of that guy who is becomes the 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 magistrate. He's not even a mayor yet because it's not even a city. You no, know, like he send they send this guy and six soldiers with shotguns and no shoes. And they're like, "All right, we'll let you stay, but you have to get rid of the soldiers." And he's like, "That's cool. Want to fuck my daughter? Sure." And they did. <laughs> yeah. No fucking. Oh, the fuck There's was so that many course? things. There's so many Aurelianos. And, so and many where we're still, we're only about a third of the way through. Yeah. Many things happen. Almost too many things happen. And there's like the whole, the next generation is the whole thing with like the twin boys, which is really fucking confusing because one is Aureliano and one is Jose Arcadio. And but they, they mix switch. themselves up. Yeah. And they both <laughs> bang the same woman, right? She doesn't yes. realize that she's fucking both. They're both fucking her. Kind of, which is a metaphor for the whole book. Like you don't know. Which of those two you're dealing with? And then when they die at the end, the guys burying them are all drunk and switch their graves again. And we also have Remedios, the beauty. I think she was my favorite character. She's like so gorgeous, but she wears like a fucking potato sack. She just doesn't give a shit about convention. She's like, why bother doing that? And she's so hot that people lose their minds when they see her and like jack off on the roof. And then she ascends into heaven one day because she's too hot for earth. I like when the guy takes the, the tiles off the ceiling to watch her take a bath. And, and she's, she's like, just like, what are you whatever. doing, man? <laughs> You're, that's dangerous, dude. You're going to die. And he's like, no, it's, hold on, I'm almost there. And then, <laughs> and then he fucking dies. <laughs> he just falls and breaks his neck. He's like, oh, whatever. Called it. Back to my sponge bath. <laughs> I like to imagine she was taking a bath like the way they do in Cinemax movies. Where she's just constantly soaping her boobs. <laughs> like well, he did like, mention, like, is, can I soap your back? She's like, that's stupid. No one soaps their back, idiot. And then he dies. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, I think people do, hopefully. Especially back then, where it's always <laughs> a thousand degrees and sweaty. There's a lot of discussion of their tangs and smells and odors from the sweaty jungle area. So, 300 pages later, Colonel Aureliano, he's been, like, fighting the Civil War for decades. And finally, finally he decides to just end it. Or more like, he's like, you know what? Let's just make peace, even though everybody hates it. Everybody thinks it's a bad idea. But he's like, no, let's just uh, let's just do it. He has another war to make everybody that disagrees with him, die. Yeah. And then he's, but he's like really sad about it, but still good, does it anyway. I, I, I couldn't really, I wasn't really sure why, but I feel like he was like, just like, you know what? This war is just never going to end. Let's just, it's just awful. Let's just end it. By so the end, you realize that there was no real difference between the two parties. He said the difference was that, you know, conservatives go to mass at five and the liberals go to mass at seven. And it was all just a power trip for everybody involved. There was no real difference in the politics of it anymore. And he just didn't give a shit. So he signs the peace treaty and then immediately shoots himself in the chest, but somehow doesn't die. He shoots in the exact place where it goes through without hurting anything because the doctor told him to shoot there. And he's like, I was trying to die. I was like, gotcha, bitch. And he lives. So he lives and then he goes back to Macondo and works in his workshop making little gold fish. And he survives for another, like, hundred years, you know. He dies off page at some point at a, 
And you're never really sure how long it's been. No, you're never sure. Because then there are, there, are, there are always like five generations alive at any one time, you know? Or more like in the middle. Well, actually, Ursula was alive all the way through the final generation was born, which is generation six. Technically seven. Seven. She was like, she lived for like six generations. So she had great, great, great grandkids before she was dead. But she eventually, she's like so decrepit and blind, but she knows everything that's going on because she just memorized, realized everyone has routines. So she just knows like, oh, that person's in this room right now. Like, I don't really need to, I'll just know if I walk into that room, I could talk to that person. Like there's a point where somebody loses something. And she's like, it must be in that room because that was you deviated from your routine today. And you probably put your keys down there. And sure enough, she's right. Like, she's just this weird observer. And they just, just kind of ignore her as the old lady. She fakes not being blind for the entire end of her life. And no one figures out that she is blind. Like Daredevil or something. Like, she gets somebody to tell her that the the color of like the, 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 the her great Her great-grandson is like, let's practice colors today. What <laughs> is this thing colored? He's like... Azul. <laughs> there is oh, no. Roja. There is no Dana. There is only Zul. There's only Azul. <laughs> <laughs> so the other big historical event that goes on in the book is when the banana company comes in. So this is like late 1800s, early 1900s. Not that you ever get a year, but this would around when it would be. And this was also very common throughout South America and the Caribbean. The Banana Company, also known as, never given a name, but they, it was United Fruit, and who's now changed their name to Dole. So the Dole Fruit Company About was Dole. the company that did this. Um, they set up shop, and they, so they literally set up banana plantations. And then the town is huge at this point. There are lots of people, you know, lots of people working there. And there's, um, but if conditions were awful conditions were terrible for the workers and so they decide to go on strike because they're working for very little money and they're being paid in script, script. which is like my fake money that's only used at the you can only use at the company like store being paid in tokens yeah because that way like the banana Busters. company when they send so when they they load up their ships with bananas and then they send them out to basically America to be sold but then on the way back they're losing money if they send them back empty. So they fill them up with supplies, bring them back to Colombia, and then sell them to the workers at inflated prices because <laughs> there's the only the only place you can spend it is there. So so that's very strike. appealing. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a strike in the uh and yeah, one this is of a real the, thing, the banana massacre, right? Yeah, yeah, this was real. And not only that, but the author Gabriel Garcia Marquez might have witnessed it as a child. Might actually have seen this I happen. Think he, I think he was very, very young when that that particular one happened. The, the famous banana massacre, which is so, not a porno, by the way. <laughs> it just sounds like one. So, um, United Fruit, like they start, you know, they like basically buy up all the land, or at least a lot of land in a country. But actually, what's more important is that they build the only infrastructure like they build a railroad that goes and this is what they did in all these countries in central america south america they built the railroad which means they own the only infrastructure really in the country and it doesn't go like it for use in 
into useful places. It goes from the banana plantations out in the, you know, out in the forest to the port. That's not quite the same as, you know, connecting major cities or, you know. Anyway, so it's like very, it's not really a good situation. But the banana company, they rely on cheap labor and they rely on this system and they, because they're the major employer in the country, they're the major industry in the country because there really isn't any other industry. They have a ton of power with the government and they largely get to run the place how they want. Um, if you ever look into it, the, the United Fruit literally like overthrew a democratically elected president of Guatemala in the 1960s. They like got the CIA to do it essentially and Guatemala has so many like awful things that happened. And it was really so that they could uh, grow cheap bananas. That's why they did well, it. Well, isn't United Fruit is like Chiquita today, right? Is it Chiquita? Because Dole, Dole was around. Because Dole like overthrew Hawaii. <laughs> <And> the, uh, <laughs> it's a different uh, corporate it's coup. <laughs> different fruit coup. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this strike going on in Macondo. One of the, I think it's one of the Jose Arcadios. He was a foreman on the plantation, but then decides to join the side of the striking workers. And there's in this, in the really like pivotal scene outside a train station. Yeah. In town square. Yeah. In the town square, the banana company has brought in their basically private military and set up machine guns around the square. Pinkertons. Oh, it might've been Pinkertons. I mean, it's, Basically, like just like the Pinkertons, yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, it's a. I don't know what it is in Spanish. Rosingtons. <laughs> <laughs> and they they open fire with the machine guns on the crowd. Well, they give and, them. They say you have five minutes to leave, and then nobody leaves. And they're like, I'm going to give you one more minute. And someone's like, put that, shove that minute up your ass. <laughs> and then he's like, right now I'm going to now we shoot everybody. So they massacre three thousand people. But the main, but one guy lives. I forget what his name is. I'm gonna. It was either Jose or Orleano. (laughs) He lives and he wakes up and he's like, "I'm fucking tired. I'm gonna take a nap here. I'm covered in dead bodies. Wow, this is weird." And he's on a train. Stop drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Quit a hell of a day to quit sniffing glue. (laughs) (laughs) And he's on the train loaded with dead bodies. And at some point, it's a it's a train. Um, it's like 200 train cars with three locomotives somehow. <laughs> like there's one in the front, one in the back, and another in the middle <laughs> just to transport this many dead bodies that are just going to be dumped into the sea. And he ro- rolls out of it and lives, and then he tells everybody about it, and they're like, no, that's not true. There's no evidence of that. You're lying. And it feels like things are <laughs> upside down. <laughs> this beer's called Pineapple Upside Down Cake. And I'm just thirsty. I'm going to let Nate finish. But this is a double IPA with pineapple, black cherry, and caramelized sugar. That's eight. Nope, that's a, that's a nine. 9% alcohol from Deccan and Ales. That is ridiculously sweet. Well, it is pineapple and cake. I mean. And upside. Black cherry. I mean, actually, is that part of pineapple? I guess it is on pineapple upside down cake, right? I have absolutely no idea. Man, I feel like that's something I used to eat in the 50s. What, how did you have... I have actually had it before. Yes, <laughs> I don't remember the cherries though. This is a bit. This is a bit much. One of those cakes full of mayonnaise and vegetables. It's like a, <laughs> a, 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 a Jello, which is marshmallows in it. 
Like, this is how we beat the Ruskies. Our diabetes. Oh, z- zucchini fingers covered in horseradish and gelatin. That's don't a knock, good meal. Don't knock horseradish, man. Horseradish can improve almost everything. <laughs> can it? Can it improve zucchini, mayonnaise, gelatin molds? I'm gonna. I'm gonna hedge and say yes. <laughs> There's a chance. I guess it improves. It, it. couldn't get much worse. <laughs> so. If you there put enough of it, you'll be so busy just like snorting <laughs> to get the, that you won't notice the abomination you put in your mouth. Yeah. Which is my pickup line. So, uh, <laughs> keep snorting. <laughs> you won't notice what's in your mouth. <laughs> that poor horse. Yeah. It's, oh, okay. It's, horse so, is, is is not cruelty free. <laughs> it's made with real horse. <laughs> You just feed a horse radishes till it dies, and that's horseradish. <laughs> it makes the horse spicy. <laughs> so after the banana massacre and after either Jose or Aureliano gets back to town and nobody believes him, then it starts to rain, and it rains every day for four years. And there's, like, nobody has any food, and, like, the cattle are dying. And we, of course, skipped a million parts of the plot Oh, yeah. There's the part where he, like, has to fuck his other woman so that the cows are fertile, but... He's the one who, um... Or his his brother is the weird one, where his brother is, like, the fat guy who is just... He, he has his wife. His wife is, um... Fernanda? Or not, his wife is Fernanda, yeah. and But he's always banging his mistress, Petra, so, so that way his animals will be fertile. Yeah, and it does work. And he's like, I rut, so they will rut. Makes yeah. sense. And he gets really fat. As they said in the book, you know, he has to have an eating contest with a woman just known as the elephant. Oh, yeah. And he's like, he's the biggest guy in town. He's 230 pounds. Like, oh, oh yeah, really? Jesus. There is oh, a, a picture. <laughs> there's, there's a, like, a picture, oh, or at least... Supposedly, the internet says that this is from the 1800s. He was the in a, in a circus sideshow, world's fattest man. Oh, no. And he's not that fat. He really <laughs> isn't that fat. But this is the world's fattest man in the late 1800s. Well, they hadn't he just looks like Velveeta a regular yet, Samoan. So. <laughs> he's not even... Oh. I, I mean, saw he, three guys bigger than him on the subway this week. Probably. And there was another guy looking at them and was like, man, if I got my shit together, I could look like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try pooping more. So uh, it, it rains for four years, and it becomes drowned. And it destroys all the, blend, all the banana plantations. Yeah. And then the city, or like the town, starts to die. Like most people leave. You know, because it destroys the banana plantations, and then the, and the banana company leaves, and then there's no jobs. And then a lot of other weird things happen. And then there's Amaranta Ursula. And then they like, and then there's Fernanda is the one who was raised to be queen, but she, oh, it was just somebody. somebody Fer, Fernanda things. is Aureliano, the guy who bangs the hooker, yeah. uh, is his wife. She was the one who was raised to be like super proper and she ends up marrying this dude and then they have kids and she's super uptight and, uh, Amaranta is one kid. Another Jose Arcadio, which I don't remember anything about him whatsoever. Uh, and Renata Remedios, who is uh, the one Meme. who bangs the mechanic. Meme. 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 
it's meme, yeah. Uh, and then she, she gets sent away to a she gets sent break. away to a uh, fucking convent because she uh, had a kid outside of wedlock or she like plays touched the clavichord a, a lot. Yes, and he smashes on the clavicles a lot uh, <laughs> with his penis. And um, they try to pretend that the baby was found in like the river. <laughs> Yeah, the baby comes back. Like Moses. Yeah, and Fernanda well, tells everybody like they found it in a basket, and they're like, "Oh, like sure, I guess that makes sense." Well, when when they, so I forget who proposes it, but they're like, "You think people are going to believe that bullshit?" And then the guy goes, "They believe it in the Bible." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then so, they do, which is funny because this is a book with actually magical things happening, like yeah. when. Jose Arcadio, the original, dies. It it just rains yellow flowers for like 12 hours and also he loses his mind has to be tied to a tree and only speaks Latin for years and he has they arguments don't even know with, the until the with the priest shows up the right? chocolate priest who drinks chocolate and levitates I mean if, I guess if you had enough chocolate you could have some serious gas but I feel like <laughs> the robes were, the robes were billowing for a reason <laughs> okay so it's kind of the final things that happen the final thing that happens even though there are a million things we skipped Renata the f- and the mechanic have a kid, and that's the baby that ends up in the basket. And so that baby is also Aureliano. He's Aureliano, and then he ends up, but he doesn't know who his parents are. Yeah. Because somehow everybody fucking believed it, that he came from the basket. And he ends up banging his aunt, though he doesn't know it at the time. At the time, he thinks it's his sister. Well, he's worried it might be a sister because like, he he believes he's not sure that who his Fernand, parents are. He he they, he was raised to believe that Fernanda was his probably his mother, so he thinks that Amar, he's been she was she left for a long time. She moved to Europe and came back with some douchebag who loves planes named and Gaston. No one fucks like Gaston, but she won't know because she won't fuck him because she won't have kids. But eventually, she starts fucking her weird. Gaston leaves. He Brother. goes. He goes to Leopoldville. He he goes to Congo because he, he's not from <laughs> there. He's like, and and he like gets sent away by his company. I heard they could like, use oh. a hand over here. And then he, uh, and then so when Amaranta Ursula is like free, she's like he's gone and he's not going to come back for years. Aureliano starts banging her, and then they have a child. Eventually, have a child. And that child is born with a pig's tail. Want to guess what his name dies. is? It's Aureliano. <laughs> and then she dies in childbirth, and it's really sad. And then he's so sad that he doesn't take care of the baby, and the baby gets taken away by ants. And well, dies. there were a lot of ants. There's Aunt Ursula. There was an Aunt Amaranta <laughs> thing floating around. I mean, there were people around. And <laughs> Not those ants, because they were like shut they were like, they were in their solitude. They were like hiding away in a house and not coming out. So they had, they were alone. And then she dies. Every character pretty much ends up alone. Yeah. Oh, it was the arthropod type of ant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I don't think there was a single Arthur in this book. It would have been fucking helpful if there was just someone with a different name or any pods. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and I can't believe you guys didn't find this quote where the, the, this is almost the, not quite the last page, but pretty close when they're like when they're fucking 
Anyway, you didn't see Okay, Nate, so, why don't you read it to us so, since you think it's funny and we would have laughed? Uh, while he would rub Amaranta Ursula's erect breasts with egg whites oh, or yeah, smooth her elastic thighs <laughs> and peach-like stomach with cocoa butter, she would play with Aureliano's portentous creature as if it were a doll and would paint clown eyes on it with her lipstick and give it a Turk's mustache with her eyebrow pencil <laughs> and would put on organza bow ties with little tinfoil hats. Well, I mean, if you're going to fuck your brother, you got to make it fun. Nate, when a man and a woman love each other very much, <laughs> sometimes that's what they do. When they said, I want to know what love is, I want you to show me. Oh, that's what he was talking about. A vivid demonstration of what love is. <laughs> it was it was pretty funny. And that's we call that Tuesday around here, but yeah, that's what people do. Yeah, and then uh the baby dies and then Aureliano die, I don't know. He's able to finally finish deciphering the hundred year old scrolls that more than hundred year old scrolls that Milkiades left to the original Jose Arcadio. And it says, and he like it and the scrolls predict everything that's happened. And then he reads up to the point where his life is happening. And so he skips forward to when he's going to die, but he also sees that you know, the the end of the story, the end of the scrolls is and then the child was born. The final the final person of the line, the final the final child will be born with a pigtail. And we'll die. And then he reads that. And then it's basically into the book. Well, then he, like, the whole town gets destroyed by a giant thunderclap queef just wins or destroy the whole town, right? It's, it's at the end of it. Yeah. It was wiped Shit. out once by the rains that destroyed the bananas. And they start to, like, rebuild and kind of just be like a little rural town again. And then it gets double destroyed. Like, the, the rains bring it back to basically what it was. At the beginning, like, the, suddenly all the newer generations of immigrants had never come, and it was all, like, Arabs again that had, like, from the 1700s, and everybody was living in these shacks after all the advancements they had made, and then that gets wiped out because it was a magic rain. Okay. Yep. And then the end. That was about 4% of the book. There's, I'm just, like, remembering so many things, like, when they find the statue that has gold in it, and it's, like, fucking just ridiculous episodes that we didn't even talk about. And I don't remember where they fit into the this, you know, patchwork of shit. The, someone brought a statue full of gold and said, hey, just watch out for this for a while. And, and like, like, Ursula, cool. who every time she saw someone, was like, hey, did you leave a statue here? And they're like, Because it me? was, they found out it was full of gold. And yeah. she's like, I gotta get this gold back to these people. And eventually, she she buries it in the yard, and everyone keeps trying to get her to tell her, tell them where she buried it. And eventually, one of the kids finds out, and then he is the one that all the local kids uh, break into the bathroom while he's Kill in there and, yeah. and drown him. But there's a, there's several. I feel like there's several examples of like buried treasure in the story, right? Like early on, is it the first Ursula who has like yeah. the buried treasure, the buried gold? The blooms or whatever the fuck they are. And she uses them to give to her husband's harebrained alchemy schemes. Yeah. That he melts them into just, like, garbage. <laughs> Mush. I'm sure that's a symbol. I don't but then know she makes a lot of money selling bread and, and candy. And Colonel Buendia had buried gold 
also that he gives back to the government when he ends the oh, Civil yeah. War. We've skipped the part where all 17 of his sons are killed on the same night. Except for one who is killed years later when he shows up at the house and says, hey, I'm the last son. They're like, who the fuck are you? Get out of here. And then two soldiers miraculously appears like, ah, I've been looking for you. And they shoot him. Were his sons the ones with like the ashes on their forehead? Yes. It was always Ash Wednesday to them. Ash holes. I don't know why, but they were all named Aureliano. Ash, Ash Wednesday is just a day to confuse non-Catholics. It is. It's the one where you walk around like, why is everyone so fucking dirty today? Oh, it's that so one. You got a little, you got a little schmutz there. The schmutz. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's plenty of other little episodes we skipped over, and your English teacher will probably ask you about them, and we're not going to help you, so sorry. Um, there was the whole uh, Amaranta-Rebecca rivalry, and how Rebecca lived alone in the house, and like you forget about her. And then 300 pages later, they're like, oh, my God, Rebecca's still alive. <laughs> is she the one that predicts her death? And he's like, I'm going to die today. That is Amaranta. Yeah. And, and, and she's like, and they give her a whole bunch of letters to bring to the dead. Yeah. And everyone's also like, silly old lady, you're not going to die because you're so healthy. And then at like, whatever, 8.02 p.m., she just dies. <laughs> well, they wow. said she was, she was told, uh, you're going to knit this shroud, and when you finish this shroud, you're going to die. So she takes four years to do it. And then she's like, ah, I'm, I'm ready to go now. That's got to I mean, the only other, I mean, was it the Odyssey? Where the woman is knitting the shroud, Penelope is... Oh, yeah, knitting and unknitting it. So, like, whenever you finish, you got a fucking new dude. Like, oh, no, that's not a, that Odysseus like there must be... I mean, th- this kind of book, nothing's here by accident, even though it just seemed like fucking literary Mad Libs. <laughs> Amaranta <laughs> is the one that died a virgin. And she told everyone, I'm going out exactly like I came in, baby. Covered in my own shit. <laughs> <laughs> There were, she wore the one Michael Jackson glove because she burned her hand. So, yeah, right. She wore the black glove forever. Like she was in the Warriors. There was a lot of, like, it's, it's incredibly well written and I guess well translated that you don't mind reading it, but you also don't really know what the fuck is going on too often. It reminds, no. I think it was, this was literary shredding. This is like <laughs> eruption. You know, by Van Halen. It's like, that's a lot of fucking notes. Holy crap, that's impressive. And then when it's over, you're like, how did that go? And you're like, I don't, I don't know. It just, it's just a thing that happened. It's like listening to a Steve Vai album. You're like, wow, that was really impressive. What was it? Oh, just stuff. <laughs> like, that's how I felt through this book. And I loved it. I loved I, reading the words. I don't fucking get it, though. You see, you related to Steve Vai. For some reason, I was thinking about Amadeus this week. Oh, the too many notes. And then yeah. I was like, this is the equivalent of too many notes. <laughs> That's like, there are just so many fucking things that happen. Even though the, all the notes were great individually, there are just so many notes. Okay, so as I was saying at the beginning of the episode, there are like a number of things that make this not a traditional novel, one of which is magical realism. But that's not even the weirdest part. The part that's, the, the part that's like more weird is that there isn't a like specific plot or like progress you're supposed to follow or like a goal in mind. Like the character, there isn't an overall thing where the characters, you know, by the end of the plot, we will have defeated the final boss, you know, kind of mm. kind of plot. It's just stuff that happens. So you don't know 
how things fit together or how much is left or, you know, how, what the progress is, which makes it different. Also, there are no conversations. It's not that kind of thing. The other thing about, about Amadeus is this book is all recitatives and not arias. <laughs> Meaning there's no, there are no points in the book where the characters are like, oh my God, this crazy thing just happened. Let me think about this for a minute. Let me think about what to do next. How, let me, you know, there's no like reflection from the characters about. It's all just st- just stuff that happens. It's all just like this happens and this happens and this. Is happens. that a thing with magical realism though? So Kafka on the shore is magical realism, but it has even though it's also weird, it has much more of a you could say traditional novel plot mm. where you kind of have an idea of the overall arc of the of the story as you're going through. And even though parts of it don't make sense, like when leeches fall from the sky, you still have an idea of progress happening towards a specific goal, which this book just doesn't have. It doesn't have a goal, but it does have an arc of sort. I mean, it's, it's it the does beginning and end of this family. Yes. yes, but you almost... Don't know that till the end, and it's it's it's, it's kind of like a mini series, like instead of uh, uh, instead of like one story, it's all of them smash into one overall story, like the cliff notes of a seven seasons of a show. I didn't quite realize that the scope of the book was gonna was going to be like the prophecy of the final Buendia. That's like what. That's the what, where it's going to end. Like I knew there had to be a pigtail at some point. That was it. <laughs> but it's not. But that's not like a thing people work towards. You no. know, that's not like where characters have objectives that they work towards. To and then when something either happens or goes wrong or blah blah, they then have to like reassess and find a new objective and which is what how you know a typical. Novel is yeah. written. It doesn't. This have did not have that. No. But the, at the end, I was like, "Oh, that's the scope of the book." Yeah, oh, it okay. It doesn't have one overall. It has forty-seven little ones that happen overlapping constantly because it will seamlessly flow from one character to another. Where you're suddenly you're talking about the war, and then all of a sudden you're talking about uh, Amaranta back home and like her rivalry and all this shit, and you like. Three sentences, and you're like, oh, we're on a new character now. Oh, okay. I, I, okay, sure. It, it happens without any notice whatsoever. It's not in the beginning of a new chapter like they would in like Game of Thrones where there's jumping around between characters. It's like you are talking about one person, and then in the middle of something, you're just suddenly on another thing, and you're on a tangent. Suddenly you're on a... Like, every time they would introduce a side character, they'd go on like uh, you know, three or four pages about them that was just completely out of nowhere, and then you'd really end up back in there. And it was, it was like a series of... like snippets that all smush together in one weird layered cake. And uh, he didn't, the author didn't use the, the person's name all that often that he was talking about. It would be, he did this and then he did that. And then he said this, and then he did that. He said, he, 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 or she, 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 she. And they all have so the same I'd be name. like three pages <laughs> later, I'd be like, who is this again? <laughs> like, which yeah. one is this? And then when you go back and look, you're like, Okay, which one is that? Like, I had to literally... I still didn't know after I backtracked to find the, find out who it was. I'm like, who yeah. is that again? It was, it was confusing. 
I read it mostly commuting back and forth on the train. So I would start in the middle of a chapter and end in the middle of one. It wouldn't always like work out timing wise. And I would say that for other books that would be annoying for this one, it didn't matter as much in some ways. In in some ways it was fine because you just kind of dip in a bunch of weird shit happens and then you dip out and then you come back and a bunch of other shit happens and it doesn't really matter where you start or finish. But also, if you're going to read something like this, it helps also to be just read it straight through and pay attention because otherwise you get really confused. But at least if you like miss something, a million other things are going to happen that it might not matter, that one thing. Because it, it's, it's, like it's like a thousand tiny stories. Well, that's the thing, right? Like what, what does matter in this story? it's just a bunch of random shit what's the stuff that matters why is this one of the greatest books ever written and you could ignore chunks of it you can and you can get something out of it but i'm sure if you don't ignore any of it there you get a lot more out of it but you could say that for every book yeah you could also for every book you can say what matters and what doesn't like why are we talking about this uh, old tangent thing and for at least in this part it's like in in like in The Stand, you know, or in Stephen King, where they go on those tangents of the side characters, and you guys hated that shit. Or you know, other books where they go on, like, tangents. In this one, everything kind of felt like a tangent. Like, the tangents were treated with the same level of detail and intent as all the main characters. Well, it's a whole book of tangents. Like a math textbook. Well, it's like there's this core that you never get to. <laughs> You know, there's this, like this circle, and then everything else glances off of it, and you have to put it together. <laughs> I saw. I'm not saying that sign. to be clever. Like I think that's kind of what it is. Like you need to figure it out. This was written in the '60s. It's fucking postmodernism's a thing. Like it's a magic yeah. realist book, but like it's a book that's aware, right? It's not just let me tell you a story. Like everything's purposeful. It's a little experimental. Oh, for sure. But like, what the fuck is the purpose? I don't know. I'm not qualified to determine it clearly. I don't know if it matters. I think it's, I don't know if it's like, one of those, you know, everybody gets something different from it. Um, but I think, I, I don't know to say, I, I don't know if it's like you don't, it doesn't need a purpose. No book necessarily, not every book has to have a purpose. Some can just be a story. This is the story of, I mean, this reviews are really like, this is the story of South America. So it was, when it came out in the 60s, you know, this is a book about, South America, colonialism in South America, but is from the perspective of the colonized people. And it talks about, and, and it was the history of the first of the Civil War and of the, you know, banana company and the banana massacre. Those are things that, you know, most people would know about. And in the 60s, that a different perspective was thought of, was, you know, like, oh, this is from an entirely new kind of person that doesn't normally, you know, that Europeans or, you know, Americans don't normally hear from, that made it unique when it came out. But if it's a story about colonialism, like, there are very few non-Columbians in it. I mean, it's, it's part of it is but about it's, colonialism. I, it is, but, yeah. like, that's not the focus, I feel like. I feel like that's a part of the story, as opposed to, like, it's kind of like, look how fucked up the Columbia is, perhaps, is what he's saying. But it's already, like, post-colonizing part of their history. It's like, oh, these are the people that live here now, and the strife that ensues. Well, it's, I mean, it's like the... Uh, a huge part of the book is just Colombian strife. It's like, it's colonialism, and then 
re-colonialism because the original Spanish are not really... He's not considering that, I guess, in with the colonialism that we're talking about in this part where the banana company takes over. That's where they colonized or, you know, usurped the locals who at that point were themselves the descendants of coloni- of colonizers. But I guess they don't really see it that way in this context. You know, coloniception. Yeah. Because it starts off with the, you know, they're 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 Spanish or like the descendants of the Spanish and they're there with the natives and all that jazz. And just some gypsies. And gypsies. There's a lot of gypsies who who travel to Europe and back very easily. That's the magic part, I guess. Yeah, probably magic. So, so I did like it. I mean, I I enjoyed reading it, but it is so different from like, you know, your typical Dan Brown novel that <laughs> It's got I words. did wonder, like, <laughs> why why do people like this so much, but yet there's nothing else like it? You would think either it would be copied a million times, but it's it's not easy to read. I'm sure it has been copied many times, or has been very influential. Reading this reminded me a great deal of, like, Michael Chabon and, writer, and Jeffrey Eugenides and writers like that, where you have these long areas of like talking about shit that doesn't matter or doesn't seem to matter but there it is this is just virtuosic display of writing maybe that's a more superficial but this is this i'm sure this has been extremely influential yeah it's just you know the stuff that a, a lot of it we just don't know about because a lot of it was probably in spanish and they didn't translate it and we didn't hear about it but also plenty of other authors who were influenced by it that we've never heard of that the books weren't as good. I say, uh, super fan Eli listened to the audiobook in Spanish. No, oh. and I was kind of one of like you're a dick, but also, <laughs> I mean, I'm fucking jealous. Okay. <laughs> I am jealous, like because that's the real way to experience it, and it's a fantastic book. Whatever the fuck it's about, it's a great journey. Yeah. So I'm sure in the original language, if you you know can speak that well enough or understand it. Clearly, certainly something must get lost in the translation, right? Always. When I was starting the book, I decided that this is going to be a book I need to like find out what it's about first, you know, just to help me figure out, figure it out along the way. And, you know, go on YouTube and like one of the th- reviews or one of the review videos is titled, you know, 100 Years of Solitude. What the fuck did I just read? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, it is kind of kind of like that. There's a couple other things that come up a lot, right? The whole incest thing. Does that mean something? I don't know. Maybe he's just a fan. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like there's a lot of fucking sister. There's a lot of lot of fucking sisters, I should say. And cousins and aunts. Yeah. Not the arthropods. Like what what's that about? Is it just is that just, is that just what happens in a small town in <laughs> Colombia? Happens in small towns everywhere, I it's guess. It's like a small town in Alabama. <laughs> well, Jose and Ursula were cousins. So yeah. it started out that way. But their fear, she wouldn't fuck them. She's like, I don't want to have a kid with a pigtail. Fast forward 100 years, pigtail, baby. You know, like, that's that's some fuck. It's a, that's a payoff there at the end of the book. There's you a know, lot of prophecy uh, shit. Middlesex, that's literally what Middlesex is about. It is having a pigtail. No, well, he called it, a, he called the, it like a half form penis in Middlesex, but yeah, the, the tail is in the front. Yes, <laughs> yes, 
The tale is the thing we tell ourselves, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't want to swine about it too much, but sometimes things happen. <laughs> so there's some sort of incest thing. I don't really know why, like what it per- what it serves, but incest is a big part of the book. And then also, like, the Buendias are, they're like rich people in the village, comparatively. Like, they have this big mansion that just keeps growing. Yeah. And adding rooms to it. They're not, like, super wealthy or anything, but they were just sort of, like, successful. At least that was my impression. But they accumulate power. They accumulate, they accumulate success. Like, their house gets bigger. They give a more prominent role, as opposed to being one of the randos who founded this village in the middle of nowhere to they have this place where, like at one point, when was it that the kid brought home 72 people to stay at their house? Yeah, one of the girls. And they had to just, they had like a 24-hour schedule of who could eat and bathe. And poop. (laughs) They had a, you know, they're they're not your average person. But they're also... They made a lot of money when original Ursula became like a, she opened up the baking and candy store because she had to make all that money back after uh, her dumb husband ruined it all on alchemy and magic. I just feel like there's there must be something to that too. You know, there has to be. I mean, it's about the you know the, at some point at the end they do say like time is a circle. They didn't say it a does. Flat it does literally get said. Yeah. But it's about how you know it's the rise and fall and. Return to nothingness of the town, the family, time itself, sister I fucking. Know. I don't know. Nate, what do you think? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, how did the <laughs> book compare to the other one we read? Love and Time of Cholera. That yeah. one was much more bueno. I understood it. It was about love and <laughs> cholera the whole time. It was a more traditional plot in, in sort of book construction. Definitely, but that book it, was also virtuosic and amazing in the writing, and just yeah, the, stuff, like the digressions didn't feel superfluous. It didn't feel like oh, let me just write some shit. It felt it was it all felt like it made sense, and this did too. Like I never was like, why am I hearing this? I just because that was kind of the whole book. If I said why are you talking about this now, I would have been asking that from page two. But that book was. How did we co- get here? I understood book two, uh, well, cholera. I did not understand this as much. I actually like this one a lot more. And I, I loved Love and Hunt of Cholera. And I admit I did not get this one 100% either. I probably got it 40%, maybe. I think this is something that would... This is the kind of book that you could read two or three times and maybe get more out of it. But it would take forever. I'm not going to do that again because it took me a long time this time. I needed to read something else. But I thought this one was... It was it, it's a fucking masterpiece. It is. And I know, I know it's better i know it's very very good but i know it's better than i am capable of understanding how it to be <laughs> yeah i liked it i mean i enjoyed reading it but it was it did feel very long and more, very confusing but there were a lot of interesting things in it yeah i enjoyed it it was never boring as confusing and dense and at times overly long it was it was never boring so what would be the, like, central idea of the book? What would be, like, the main point of the book? Like, what's the message? Or does it even have one? Don't fuck your cousin. Is cool. that the message? Because I think, <laughs> I think people, I think the characters did what they wanted. 
Yeah. How'd that they were just out? like, this is what I want to do. It, it, I, <laughs> I think most of the characters were like, don't, don't deny yourself. Like, just, just do what you want to do. A lot of them, forbidden. a lot of them don't do what they want to do and they always end up alone. Or if they do what they do want to do, some of them do what they want to do, end up alone, and a lot of them don't do what they want to do, and they end up alone too. That's the solitude part. Yeah. Yeah. They talk about he says the word solitude or related words all the time in describing like every character at some point. They usually end up their life they end up alone. Don't we all? <laughs> that... These people especially. I think the line from uh, Chinatown in that movie with Jack Nicholson. She's got a dick. Was that the line? I don't. That's not the I line. Never I never saw the movie. There's a, someone calls him and says, are you alone? And he says, isn't everybody? Yeah. It's well, like, great. Like you a know. fucking dashboard confessional song. Well, it's, it's a you know funny, snarky, I think that was an improvised line too. You know, <laughs> aren't we all alone on some level? Yes. But in this book, they are literally often alone. Like a lot of, the women always end up living alone in some house and dying. And the men all end up living in that one room full of ghosts. And fucking everything they want. Yeah. And then dying all of that. Respect. <laughs> Let's try it this way. Who should read this? Oof. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, everyone should if they can. I don't think everyone can. Like, if you just read it, you know, sometimes, this is going to take you two years. It's going to take you two fucking years to read this book. If we didn't have to do it for the podcast, I probably wouldn't have finished it. It would have taken Even though me a I lot was longer. enjoying it, I enjo- was enjoying it, but it's still like, what was the point? Or more like, as you're reading it, there isn't an overall plot. You don't. You want to find out if they get together in the end. You want to find out if they defeat Sauron. You want to find out if they. You know, there's hmm. this book just doesn't have that, and so there's less of a reason. I want to find out what happens next. Well, I need to read the next chapter so I find out what happens next. This book just doesn't have that. I mean, this book, for me, it did have a, had that. It was just, there wasn't an overall thing, but something new happened every two pages that was it's every two completely sentences. unrelated. Two sentences might be two pages later. It was very frustrating trying to read. Like, so I'm like, oh, I have, to get, I have to stop reading now. Let me get to the end of this paragraph. And it'd be like 11 minutes later. Um, it's like, oh, my stop's coming up. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I don't see the end. There is no end. <laughs> there is only Zool. <laughs> I think, obviously, anybody who's a literature fan, a big L literature person, should read this because it's so famous. Yeah, and it is worth it. If you're the kind of person who reads stuff like this, it's 100% worth it. I don't know if I'd say it's worth it because I have more questions than answers, and I fucking hate <laughs> books where it's like, you got to read it multiple times. Fuck you. You don't need to. I'm not going to read Well, this then again I just don't years. get it. And that pisses me off more. And I'm, not, I'm a, at least an average reader. Like, that's fucking bullshit. If I could read this and, like, oh, I guess that was about bananas at some points. Like, that's not a fucking answer. That's bullshit. I, al- I mean, I also, maybe I'm just, I never, unless it's like super heavy handed, like Heart of Darkness, obviously, it's got a fucking message that he's hammering down your throat with his fist. For stuff, for most books, I, I never really think about, like, what's th- what did they mean by this? I mean, I know there's stuff in there. It just never was that important to me. This book was like, yeah, I'm sure there's stuff in there. I'm sure there's a thousand billion things that I didn't get what the meaning of it was. But just as a story or as, you know, 10,000 tiny stories, I, I, I loved it. 
and I'm sure that I didn't get it. But I still enjoyed the ride. I'm glad I finally read it. Yeah, me too. I guess I am too, but that's just because I'm a snob and I want people to say I read it. <laughs> this was this was the level of like epicness and achievement that I felt like I didn't get from War and Peace. Where it was like, oh, it's this huge sprawling story with billions of characters and it's uh, it's amazing masterpiece work of art. And I was like, eh, was, uh, I don't know. Like this was like that. This is way harder than War and Peace. I found War and Peace so much harder because I was bored the whole fucking time. Okay. And everyone was named Vladimir or Alex in that one. <laughs> War and Peace is a simpler, is, is less weird. It's like a regular It's less weird, plot. yeah. I believe the working title for this was War and then Peace and then War and then some Peace and sometimes some War and then Peace again. And then you get a hand job from your cousin. And a hand job from your cousin. <laughs> and a pig's tail. Ta-da. Is that the sequel to Babe? <laughs> the I hear, you about, I, I, I hear you about War and Peace, though. Because War and Peace is supposed to be a big, sprawling epic, and I was just so fucking bored. What these lengthy, you know, meditations on what it means to be a great soldier by Napoleon or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. This was, this was a sprawling epic. But I still don't know if I'd... I don't know. It's hard to know who I would tell to, like, you should definitely read this. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it's like a book nerd shibboleth, you know? Shibboleth, you know, that that stupid word that sounds like I'm I'm listening, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) It's from the the Old Testament or something. It's like a word. It's like a thing that proves your... your, It's a a password, yeah. Like, proves you're in in this elite group. A members-only jacket, but for words. Yes. <laughs> this is this is the members only jacket of of words. <laughs> it's also made of denim. Whereas the members only jacket of food is the club sandwich. <laughs> Be in the club. <laughs> you know, like book nerds can say this, oh, I've read that book. And then other book nerds will respect. You know, other than that, I don't know if I'd say you need it's to read this book. Rights. It's like saying Infinite Jest or War and Peace or any of these other famous big hard books. This is the big is, hard book about bananas. The this banana massacre. Big stiff banana. <laughs> a lot. They sleep in a lot of hammocks too. You know, there are a lot of hammocks for the bananas. Shit. I think the book is good. I don't want to work this hard to read a book for fun. Maybe I wasn't in the right mood. Maybe this wasn't the right time for me. But this was fucking confusing and hard. It was hard finding enough time. <laughs> I I needed, I needed a Sherpa. I needed someone to help me. If I if I had been told up front, look for these things, that probably would have helped. But I also think that that's a shitty way to read a book. Like that shouldn't be required. That should be required for class. Like I'm taking this for, I just need to pass this class. Fine. But to read it for leisure, I don't. I, I think that's stupid. I am okay not getting all that. But for a book where it's critical of the elitism of the characters. Most of the characters are not that elite. The whole fucking family is. But I mean, like, they got money. But they're not particularly, like, learned. Except for, like, the girls get sent off to, like, fancy camp school at the end. But for the most part, they're not particularly educated. Money is elite. (laughs) That's... Yeah. This is America, Jimmy. A bunch of them are illiterate. Don't matter. (laughs) I don't fucking know if Elon Musk can read. He definitely his tweets? Read. I don't know. His tweets are just coloring books. It's just him saying dumb shit, but... 
he bought Twitter so that they have to write, they just have to someone like tweet the things he yells at them to tweet. Well, I think, I think it's an unintended irony that this book can only be understood by the elite, but it seems to be very critical of the elites of Columbia. I think it is critical, yeah. certainly, of the history of infighting that those countries have. Nate, I know. You can't... They're not animals, Nate. Stop saying that in the chat. All right. If you understood it, tell us what you thought. <laughs> Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you've listened to this long and you want to support the podcast, why not head over to patreon.com slash drunkguysbookclub and you can support the podcast there or just leave us a review wherever you're listening. Just round up to five stars. Don't be a dick about it. And you can also join us on Goodreads where we wait for comments in solitude. <laughs> and check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.